So ritual is, from a neuroscience perspective, there's a reason to do it. Uh, you know, for me, when I look at the course of human history and see that ritual and ceremony have been being done from, you know, recorded history, we know that there's a reason. And now science can explain that reason. That's just to me a bonus. Right. I already believed it. But yeah. I think, you know, our intellect, especially in our American culture, we really want to understand it. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode, The Importance of Rituals for Relationship Transformation. And I have a conversation with Trish Kruger, a reoccurring guest on my podcast. Last month, we did a podcast on the power of words, and I really enjoyed conversing with Trish. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Trish. You can check her out on the show notes also. Trish is a colleague as a professional counselor, and she has a diverse background, including nature awareness and art and natural foods, alternative medicine, yoga, entrepreneurship. She has a dual license as a professional counselor and a clinical addiction specialist. Along with talk therapy, she values including nature, experimental methods and mindfulness, and expressive arts in her practice. She also grew up in Michigan, where she studied business administration. We have that commonality of growing up in Michigan and having business as part of our past life, so to speak. So you can check out more of Trish at blueridgetreks.com, also on the show notes that have links to her information. So today in the podcast, we talk about the importance of rituals as it pertains to relationship transformation. You know, rituals, when you set a clear intention and are fully engaged on many levels, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and psychologically, then it has meaning. And rituals connect you to something larger than yourself. So Trish and I talk about some personal stories that we brought rituals into our transformation processes in our life. We give examples as counselors, how we work with clients to do rituals in their relationship. As an example, divorce rituals or coming of age rituals, blessing ways as some examples. So ritual gives us meaning to our journey and a sense of purpose in our life. It's um, like a timeout from everyday routine and gives us a sense of renewal. And I also want to say on last week's podcast, where it was about letting go of family relationships, whether toxic or not, the one topic that my wife Rainbow and I didn't discuss was around rituals in letting go of relationships. So this podcast and talking about it really spurred some thoughts and ideas about implementing 
those rituals into letting go of the relationship as it was. Not so much letting go of the person in the ritual, but letting go of the energy that didn't serve the experiences and circumstances that you no longer want in your life. So that's kind of an add-on to last week's podcast that I wanted to give you an inclining that you can get some information from what we talk about in this podcast about rituals and implement it from last week's podcast around letting go of family relationships and the transformations that can take place with a ritual. All right, so here we go. The importance of rituals for relationship transformations. Let's talk about it. All right, here we go again. Thanks for coming back in the studio, Trish. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. great to be here again. Yeah, it was wonderful a few weeks back when we did our podcast on the power of words and Afterwards, we were talking about doing another one, and you were really excited about the uh, passion that you have around rituals and rites of passage, and mm-hmm. we thought that would be a great conversation of how rites of passage and rituals and ceremonies for relationships can be so transformational. Yes, that is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true that I'm excited about it and that we are you know, just needing more of it in our culture. We've lost some of what we had, and we're finding that out by a lot of the uh, struggles people are having. Yeah. I guess we'll talk about that a little more, you know, how that relates to to both our work as therapists and, you know, and members of, of our culture. Yeah. And I see so much of how a lot of times rituals and ceremonies, we give our power away to institutions. We give our power away to religious organizations to do that for us. We give it to the state uh, around uh, marriage and and even uh, graduation ceremonies for people in education. We don't really create and embody our own in a unique way. And I think that that's where it's so powerful, that it has to have the meaning because that is the sense of purpose and and we talked about the energy for it to really have profound impact on our transformation. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yep. That's uh, kind of one of the things you and I were talking about earlier. The power of the energy is so important. You can say the words and you can even perform the action of a, of a ceremony or a ritual. And yet if it's not this felt energy, which you know, if it's not unique to you, if it's not something you had part of creating, it's it's different, mm. you know, it's it's a little more flat and it's therefore not as, as meaningful and impacting for the person involved and the people involved. Yeah. I think people are afraid to do that. They're afraid to get it wrong and not mm-hmm. do it so right. And and again, giving away our power to something else, something you know, beyond ourselves to actually embrace, you know, who we are. And that's, that's one reason why Rainbow and I, when we got married, we ended up doing our own marriage ceremony in the mountains of, of Colorado when, when we married ourselves. And one part was we wanted to embrace it ourselves. And we were far away from family. We were thinking of having ceremony with our family. But one big part that I thought of this big transformation for us was 
I wanted it to be between us. And even though I think it's very powerful to have a community witness and we could talk about why that's powerful, for us, there was just something that we decided at that time that it was going to be an intimate focus of what we wanted to exchange. And I remember at the last moment, we brought red beet powder and put a big circle where we're standing in, in a heart and some ritualistic things that we brought in. And it wasn't from any tradition. We just thought of it and, and did it. I remember we called in the wind for uh, the energy of having our backs to go on in our new life. And the wind started to howl. Like we called it in. That That's also people like, be careful. What It's powerful. <laughs> we literally had to walk down to another area of the mountain because it got too windy. Oh. So that that to me also showed some of the power that we were invoking. It was transformational just to do that mm-hmm. in our in our marriage to kind of walk through that we were making our own decisions. We did end up going to to the courthouse uh, to work the the legal society ways, but mm-hmm. the the meaning of the ceremony to us was our own. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 the important part. It doesn't have to be any certain way, like you said. There's power in having a community bear witness, mm-hmm. and yet for you, it felt right to to do that. You know, at least initial commitment yourselves, and um, that's it. Knowing mm-hmm. what's right for for oneself mm-hmm. and taking ownership of that. We were talking earlier. Do you mind telling a little bit about your divorce ritual that you do? Because no, I don't mm-hmm. mind. And actually, I'm realizing that it's probably important to tell about the commitment ritual that I had with Will uh, before we did our divorce ritual uh, because they're very related. We both had been married before, so when we embarked on the idea of of getting married, the idea of do we need to do the legal thing, do we need to do any kind of commitment, and I felt it was important. My kids were young, and I didn't want to, to live together, which we were talking about doing, without some type of intentional commitment. So one morning, I just woke up, and this this vow, these vows just kind of flowed into my consciousness and they felt so right that I just got up and sat at my desk and started writing them. And they were, you know, just really personal to us. Things that even included how we were going to handle my dog at the time. Mm. Um, and you know, how we were going to handle the kids and the household and how we wanted to honor our individuality and our complex histories. And, and, And then the final vow in that was, if we ever decide that we are no longer growing together in the way that we feel is right, if either one of us feels that way, that we will agree to end this commitment in a graceful and loving way and that we will stay together until we are both ready to make that that mm-hmm. transition. And so we were together for a, a little over 15 years and and through that process had struggles, blended family issues or were a big part of that struggle. And toward the end of that 15 years we we attempted to end the relationship. I was usually the one that wasn't ready. So he and I would come back together. And I don't think we consciously remembered that vow in our, our original, it was a hand fasting ceremony, actually, um, which I can talk a little bit more about. But um, but 
in the end, when I, I realized what happened is that's exactly what we did. We stayed together until the point where we both felt ready. And when we did that, we were able to have this loving, kind, caring ritual to go from married couple to friends. And that ritual was held by a, a dear friend. We had created a spiritual community and we were talking to the woman that was in our community that hosted them at her home about this process. And she said, she suggested it. How about we do a ritual next, next gathering so people can, in our community can understand how to, how to relate to you without that apprehension. You know, when people getting divorced, it's, there's a lot of issues around the friends groups and the family and how do, how do we still stay aligned with both people and often people aren't able to do that in a good way. So we, um, we, we sat with her, we talked about some things we'd like to do and she created a ritual where we sat in the room and in chairs in front of our community and we shared a story that I had written about um, a metaphorical story about a swan and a heron. I was the swan and he was the heron in this story. And we just alternated the sharing that story, passing it back and forth between him and me. And literally, we had to do that because we would start crying um, and weeping. And, you know, once we, when I was reading and I would get to the place where I was weeping, I'd hand it over. He would read a few lines and start weeping, and the community witnessed this. And then she had us um, stand up, and we faced each other, and we shared the meaning and the growth and the appreciation that we had experienced as a couple. And then she had us turn um, with our backs toward one another, and the community came and faced me first, and, and I shared some things about taking my step into the next phase of my life. And then they all went over to Will's side and did the same for him. And then we faced the community again. And, you know, our friend said, now here is Trish and Will, friends, and, and you can receive them as friends in this loving community. Mm. Wow. Made all the difference. We, we, you know, and interestingly, even when we struggled, because a lot of times when people still love each other, like we do, we felt compelled when things maybe got hard to go back to what's familiar. Yeah. And it was like, because we'd had that public um, witnessed ceremony to say, this is right for us. We know this is right for us. That really helped me push through those those grieving times and say, you know, I'd go back to the, my quiet place and say, it is still right that we're friends and not a couple. Did, did the ritual help put that embodied? Like, did you feel that in your body energetically that it was I right? Did. To, uh -huh. I really did, yeah. Uh -huh. I felt that, that kind of calm in my body. I think everyone's felt it at some point. I, and maybe hopefully we can all relate to that. Mm. And that happens, you know, sitting quietly and, and discerning. Yeah. To this day, I, I miss him, and, and I'll say, let me sit with it, and I'll feel it, and I feel that calm. This is right. And we're still dear friends, and, you know, we still talk, and we still love each other. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, what comes to mind to me is also that you took the shame away from the cloud of divorce in our society, you mm -hmm. know, that, 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 that there's a failure instead mm -hmm. of like, there's, there's no failure in that. There's a decision that you're not continuing 
to um, have the relationship that you want to have. And to me, that's empowerment, that's discernment, and that's loving Mm -hmm. in very ways to know that that it no longer is serving both of you. So taking away the shame part of, of divorce in a ritual like that, I think that's that's so beautiful. Yeah, right. thank you. I, that's mm-hmm. a, I'm glad you bring up that point. As mm-hmm. as a therapist, and you know, especially working with young people, I the divorce statistics are clear that uh, you know if if you take out the veterans generation and some of the baby boomers that you know really got the the mental construct to stay together no matter what. Yeah. The divorce statistics are high. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start letting people know if if this relationship if this marriage doesn't work that's okay yeah. that that's okay to move on let's let's talk about you know how to be partners and make that transition you know how how will we make that transition if we were going to and again because that was stated in our original vow to each other even though we didn't consciously think about it, I truly believe that narrow pathway was embedded in us mm-hmm. and we honored it yeah because it's so different when people make these end commitments of till death do us part. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get that that's a commitment, but if you're treating each other like shit for years, mm-hmm. that, th- does that commitment really hold? Yeah. You know, I, I talk about, and I did in another podcast around what commitment is, around making process commitments instead of outcome commitments. A process commitment is if we get angry to each other, then we commit within 24 hours to tell each other that we're angry. Then the outcome commitment will take care of itself. I love you for for whatever time frame, right? Mm-hmm. But the, these outcome commitments we hold through obligation instead of a sense of uh, purpose and intention. And I think that, that people have to really understand that yeah. and and to be kind to ourselves and compassionate when perhaps some of our vow or commitment changes because life changes. Yes. And, and if we're not staying abreast of uh, connection and other things, then it's difficult. And also other circumstances happens that makes it where people make those decisions. So it, again, to take the stigma off of failure, to me, relationships have a lifetime, whether mm-hmm. it's five days or 50 years, it's a lifetime. And, and that then it's about honoring that lifetime of relationship. And so I don't know about you, but for, for me, when I'm working with, with couples, doing like a divorce ritual that people have to be really amicable to really want that. They got to be ready for Mm -hmm. that. I've worked with people that were very much ready and it was a very beautiful experience. You know, it's, it's kind of like their endings are as important as beginnings. And Mm -hmm. some people realize this and other people wanted to do it mentally, but they weren't ready. There was still a lot of hurt. And so when they were embodying what they were doing, it, it wasn't a full transformation. Mm-hmm. And um, I spoke earlier about a couple that I was working with that they lit a candle that stated where they were, their, their union. And they talked about what they were really benefiting from the relationship after the years, what they were gonna take that was really positive. And then they each took that candle and lit a separate candle. And they held their separate candle stating what they wanted for the future. And their new-to-be ex-partner was also stating what they wanted for that partner. And then they reversed and they did it with the other partner. And then they blew out the union candle and they both uh, were holding their own separate individual candle now symbolizes who they were gonna be in individuals in the future. And it was such a beautiful 
Mm. Beautiful ceremony to do that. That is beautiful, Prepo. Yeah, mm. just envisioning it. You know, marriage ceremonies. Commonly, we have the the candle where that's right. the opposites done, and you're right. you're just you're just carrying on that. Like you said, it's the cycle that it's a life cycle that relationships have. And mm. Will and I happen to be a married couple in part of our relationship, and now we're we're loving friends. And I really want to come up with a word for what, what to, to call mm. a person that, you know, is like that um, after a marriage, because it's it does feel different than a, a, a standard friendship. And, um, you yeah. know, it feels like family, and yet there's no word for it. So an ex-husband is just, just not good. <laughs> yeah, boy, that is, that, that, that ex, exiting it out of your life. Right. she's not out of your right. life. Right, right. And so the best I've come up with is his title is my former husband, my friend Will. Mm, <laughs> and we both joke about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. I'll have to write that out and mm. see if I can come up with a, a good word for I that. I think it's great to come up with. Like I, my rainbow's father, him being Danish, there's a word called Sviafa, and it's translated as father-in-law. But mm. for some reason... I think he messed it up um, just that, that when he looked at law and he saw it was love. And so he oh. would say, he would sign cards, your father in love. Oh. And I think that it was a mistake. I don't think he was that evolved oh. to do that, but maybe he was. <laughs> I never wanted to correct him because I loved it. So now I refer to Xander's girlfriend. They're not married, but I refer to her as my daughter in love. Because oh. that, to me, that's what she is, you know? And so. We get to create those words that best symbolizes yep. that for us. Yep. Let's talk about like the profoundness. You would talk about the neural pathways of what a ritual and ceremony does. Can Can you share some of that? Yeah, it, you know, just put simply is that you know each time we have a thought, we create a neuron. Um, if we have that thought repeat, that neuron becomes a pathway. Um, that's deeper and deeper and deeper. If we speak about it, it becomes deeper. And then if we take action that is related to that that thought, which has now become a neuropathway, it deepens it even more. And then as you were sharing earlier, if the the energy isn't really ready for it, just the rote movement or even the the unfelt words being spoken doesn't create the same neural pathway. It might create a, a belief system, but not necessarily a, a deeply embedded neural pathway. Mm -hmm. so, so ritual is, from a neuroscience perspective, there's a reason to do it. Uh, you know, for me, when I look at the course of human history and see that ritual and ceremony have been being done from, you know, recorded history, we know that there's a reason, and now science can explain that reason, that's just to me a bonus. Right. I already believed it, but yeah. I think you know our intellect, especially in our American culture, we really wanna understand it. And so I often will share that with clients, um, and especially the just the messaging given to males often in our culture is those things are silly, they don't mean anything, why do that? Right. Um, but, you know, I don't mean to be fully gender specific, but I think we can all agree that culturally men get a, 
a different message than women in that regard. Men usually use like rituals with sports, you know, we'll call yeah. it superstition, but it is like, you know, they might eat the same food or, you know, be before a game. For me, when I play baseball, I had to, I had to dress the same way, how I folded my socks, mm -hmm. even wear uh, ritualistic shorts underneath my baseball pants that were all <laughs> ripped up. You know, and so there's men use that I think more rituals when it comes to when it comes to sports. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. but you know, and the thing is, is what I've realized: we have to have ritual. We yeah. are we are beings yeah. that need it. We we've just kind of lost the awareness of it being intentional and important, right. and maybe even talked about. Mm -hmm. But just like you said, there's so much ritual hidden in our culture. Now, if we can more consciously bring it out and, and, and you know, intentionally during these times of transition, help people, again, mm. really get an embedded neural pathway because that helps the phase have closure so that the next phase can be started in a fresh, in a more Re open way, in yeah. a more renewed way. That's yeah. a perfect word. Yeah. yeah. And it works. I even think that, that part of uh, daily rituals, like even in a relationship, there's so many transformational periods in a day. Coming and going are very transformational. So when one, let's say when one partner leaves the house, that's a transformational period. Mm -hmm. How, what they do in that transformational period is going to be some of their energy of when they are separated after those hours. Vice versa, when one comes in and the other one is in the house, that's a transformational period. I think it's so important. I tell couples, those are transitions. It's really good to understand your connection in that. Are you hugging? You know, like Rainbow and I, there's a real transition. When I come in after a day, we take a nice, long, you know, six breath hug mm -hmm. that we reunite. And then when I go off and and put my stuff down and maybe tend to the fire. We're already connected. Yeah. And that's a ritual that I look forward to. I, I look forward to a ritual when I drive up on the driveway after a long drive home and I turn off the car and I start consciously thinking about, all right, let me let me wipe away my day and what do I want to experience with the people in my home that I love and care for? How do I wanna be? And that to me is a ritual that have meaning that created a neural pathway because of the repetitiveness. Mm -hmm. But if I just did it out of just rote obligation, it's gonna take the purpose away from it. Mm -hmm. And so I think couples have their rituals, you know, they have their maybe their ritual date night and so forth, but if it doesn't have the attached meaning to it, it's not gonna be embodied. Mm -hmm. So I put out to everybody, it's great to have these rituals that you create this pattern of, of habit, but make sure that the intention is there and not that it's out of obligation and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When Rainbow and I also do our uh, appreciation heart share, there was a point many years ago where she knitted a heart share blanket for us. Mm. And one reason why she was knitting it, because she was knitting while we did our heart shares. And I was like, come on, babe, like, look at me, you know, don't, <laughs> don't knit. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm focused. This is how, this is my meditation. I'm like, yeah, you might be focus but i want your eyes and uh, so instead of arguing back and forth i just said why don't you knit us a blanket for our heart chairs and she did it was like a six foot blanket and it mm -hmm. had hearts on it and so every time that we did our our appreciation heart chair 15 minutes a half hour we took it out of the closet spread it across us when we were sitting on the on the sofa and it ended up feeling like it had that energy of all of the heart chairs over the years and so Absolutely. forth and actually she stopped knitting 
um, a little bit after that. So it's something about maybe even acknowledging her desire need, and then she brought it in. And uh, that was no longer an obligation to bring that that knitting blanket out. It became sacred. Mm. And a lot of rituals that people do with religious aspects and so forth, they become a sacred part. When I meditate, I have a shawl that rainbow knitted words that I want in my field of appreciation, compassion, and so forth. And it's knitted on there, it's embroidered. And I put it around me like a prayer shawl. And it's a, it's a ritual, but I know there are some days where I'm just putting it on instead of really being mindful about it and really invoking. So I think it's so important when we're doing this from a transformational moments in our life that it has purpose. Yeah, fully agreed. Yeah, there's a um, just a simple ritual I do, and I often suggest to clients, as you brought up, the the coming home and, and leaving process um, is typically done with kind of shifting of parts of the day, like the you know the morning. I do like to look toward the the indigenous peoples of this land have the teachings of the medicine wheel, and I I, I always want to be careful as a a white woman to to honor. Um, the sacredness of, of that teaching. So I, I say this with that, with that respect. Uh, but, you know, they, it, it's just such a simple and yet powerful way to understand these, these parts of our, of our lives, including, you know, from the day to the week, the month, the year, our, a lifetime. If we look toward what's considered the east part of the, the day is the morning. The east part of a life is our childhood so to speak. So, you know, when we go from this east part of the day, we all know when we wake up in the morning and the sun's just risen, there is a distinct energy there. It's different than the mm-hmm. evening, you know, the midnight. So we know that it's like that. And, in you know, and, and maybe that includes getting up and having coffee and, you know, if, if the more intentional it is, the better. So even if it's coffee, I say to people, you know, like grind the beans and take a moment, smell the coffee, thank the farmers and the the land that grew those beans and then you know pour the water in and thanking the water and you know that process of just the simple things that we do but making it mindful and you know if if your partner's there sharing that here smell this coffee i love you i want to share this 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 wonderful smell but yeah, and then, you know, the, the mid part of the day being the South Medicine. So when a person leaves for work, it's often that shift going from East to South Medicine. The South Medicine's like our work time and the fiery time. It's the midday and in, in a lifetime is like the adolescence and the young adulthood when we're like, you know, going into our sexual hormones are activating. And so that's an excellent time to have a ritual for a human being going from child, from their East energy to their South energy. Um, for young women, it's often when they start their first bleeding time. And for young men, you know, that transformation when they their voice changes and they, you know, have the outward appearance of changing into a man. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about earlier the Jewish tradition, the bar mitzvah is, is a very ancient and respected ritual and and you mentioned you you took some of that with your son but yeah. then made it your own yeah because I, when i grew up i i had a bar mitzvah but it was it was a lot of just obligation and stress to learn it to read what the portions i had to read and you know it was kind of wrote of what the party was going to be like and it just didn't it didn't really have the deep meaning for me and actually after that i no longer just even 
practice, went to synagogue and so mm-hmm. forth. And so it didn't really have its purpose, what it was supposed to, it's supposed to do. So with, with Xander, we didn't raise him in any particular um, religion and Rainbow didn't grow up in that, in the Jewish religion. And, and uh, I didn't continue practicing the Jewish religion. So what we ended up doing was um, just really teaching him to be uh, respectful and honorable of all living things. But there was some point when he turned 13 that there was something in me that said, okay, that's a transformational age. What do I want to do? And we decided that him and I would go out on a camping trip. And the men in my family from a Jewish tradition, we had a, a little jewelry piece that was called a mazel that uh, means fortune in, in Hebrew. You know, mazel tough means good luck, right? So mazel oh. means fortune. And I used to love um, seeing my aunt, my uncles and my dad and my grandfathers wearing this piece. Mm. It was designed very differently for each man, but it was like, ooh, that, that looks so cool. When am I gonna get mine? And I ended up actually getting mine when I was in my, in my 20s. But I thought, wow, that's something symbolic. So I had one made up for Xander that it was actually out of his, it was out of my bar mitzvah ring. I melted it down, my grandfather's ring and something else. Mm. So it had some ancestral energy in it and uh, it burst, his birthstone I put in it. And I gave it to him when we were camping and told him about his grandfathers and great grandfathers stories that I remember so we can bring in the ancestors. And to mm-hmm. me, that was really meaningful. We did it by the campfire. And yeah, it was That's that was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. Yeah. And then three years later, when he was 16, we did another transformational rites of passage. We took a, a workshop at Esalen Institute, a father and son workshop, and traveled and camped around in, in Northern uh, California and did a very symbolic things for what was important for us of taking hammocks and cooling out in mm. beautiful forest and hiking. And and to me, you know, like I didn't have to push him to do those things. Mm-hmm. Like I think some fathers, I, I see them, I want my son's rites of passage where he's gonna go out, uh, spend all night in, in, the, in the forest alone. And the kid's like, I don't wanna do that, <laughs> you know? And yeah, maybe some tribe did that um, mm-hmm. years ago, but they grew up in a tribe. Mm-hmm. These kids, you know, are, spent the week playing Nintendo and then they're going to go out in this, spend all night in a forest. So I also think that it needs to be desired in some form from, from all the parties yes. to it, for it to have meaning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, even when we were talking about, as you were saying that women have blessing ways mm-hmm. uh, for birth, uh, when they're given birth, but men don't have a ceremony for becoming fathers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's something that I'd like to see and, and maybe help foster that change. And, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners who don't even know what a blessing way is. It's like we were saying earlier, this culture still has standard, some standard rituals that have survived <laughs> the loss of, of ritual, um, like high school graduations are one you know, certainly marriage ceremonies, but there's also like the wedding shower and then the baby shower. So, you know, I think some of the more conscious awareness around ritual now is taken. The baby shower is the time to honor the baby coming. Let's do it even deeper. We call it a blessing way. And the the mother-to-be, we're blessing this child's way into the world and her way into motherhood. 
So we we share gifts, but they're they're you know usually things that have a sacred meaning to them. Um, we save the the baby shower, gets the the little cute clothes and such. But the blessing way is is you know mothers sharing their experiences. If if a woman hasn't birthed the child yet, she may share her own experience with her mother, uh, her relationship with her mother, and she's honored and um, you know foot baths and massage and braiding her hair and often there's a henna tattoo put on her big pregnant Mm. belly and it's so beautiful and now these young fathers that are witnessing this are seeing you know what a meaningful experience this is for their partners and recently you know a young couple that I know were having this and we had a the blessing way and was talking to her partner her husband and and he said out loud, I, I'm kind of jealous. Mm. And so we talked about uh, the idea of how about, you know, gathering men together, some fathers and, and some young men and fathers sharing the story of the transformation into fatherhood so that that we can, you know, again, intentionally start, I guess, healing this this wound, this mm-hmm. cultural wound that we have, especially for men. Yeah. Um, as we know, there's a lot of homes in our culture that the father is not present. And again, that, that's that divorce rate. And again, that's often based on the, the relationship ending with anger yeah. um, and hurt so that it's difficult to continue co-parenting. So, you know, let's start healing that wound and helping young men understand from their elders, you know, and from ritual what it means to be a father and, and the transformation that happens to go from from young man to father yeah, as there is from young woman to mother. Even purging the fears of what men might have about their fear of becoming a father and not just, you know, what I have to be listening to the wisdom of being a father, but hey, let's first talk about what I'm fearful of. Can mm-hmm. I get rid of that in some way? Can I be accepted and vulnerable mm-hmm. among other men in my fear? Because I think that's a big thing that challenges that men have is to hold their vulnerability, especially around other men. Yes. And if they're given a space to be able to do that, mm-hmm. whether it's writing it down, saying it out loud, burning it, cleansing it in mm-hmm. some ways, so that they can now, again, rebirth a renewal of that. And even to go back with the divorce rituals, when couples aren't amicable in it, each one can do it on their own. Yes. They can totally, you know, take whatever it is, the pictures and the symbolics of the relationship, and they could put them away, they can burn them, they can do their own ceremonies on their own to be able to make room for mm-hmm. a renewed energy to come into their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we were talking earlier about, especially with men, the the anger, the the uh, angry patriarch that, that we were talking about is so embedded in our society in so many ways. And there's not a lot of encouragement for men to be able to understand and transform that. Mm-hmm. And even what their purpose is in, in walking in the world, in work and so forth, this strong patriarch leadership or this assertiveness and uh, what came to mind when we talked earlier about even retirement, how, how many men suffer after retirement because they lost the sense of power in some way. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of a false sense of power if, if how they brought it in the world. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is a transformation of now you had gifts that you gave, now what kind of gifts can you give differently to the world in a softer way? Mm-hmm. Maybe after a retirement phase and 
we don't have that transition for men of you have retirement parties that they give you the the watch and they they roast you and say jokes but they don't really um what do you want for your life now how are you going to give back into society mm-hmm. how do you want to rest and really rejuvenate yourself or maybe rebirth yourself in a different way in this later stage we we, we don't really transform that energy of assertiveness and anger that the shadow side of it that's in society and yeah. i think that we need more transformational rituals for, especially for men to mm-hmm. shift that energy yeah i agree i've yes worked with men who've retired and you know personally know uh, of course people in my life that that deal with that that loss of um of identity and so if that that time just like again in the the marriage and divorce ritual that Will and I did, we honored, if we honor that time for a person, their work life, again, going back to the medicine wheel, that, you know, South energy is now moving toward the West and and the more quiet time, like that's usually our later career when we've mastered things, learned um, a lot of it, and now we're kind of the, the mentors maybe to the younger people, and then we're going toward our North time, which is retirement, quieter, life, calm, peace. And if we can relate it to that, that this is a natural cycle of life and we honor it, what passed and what is to come. And we have, you know, often is a literal crossing over something. Maybe it's crossing over a broom and a hand fasting is one I think of, or crossing over a a staff. I think Rainbow was talking about her croning ceremony where she created her own staff and then laid that out in the room and the young woman stood behind her and she stepped over that staff and joined the other crones, the other women who had reached their um, their north time of their life. And then that's invited, it's welcomed, and the young women got to witness this honoring of this woman. So now they're less afraid, mm. you know, to get the wrinkles and lose their youthfulness. And, and they see that, yeah, this is actually what I call, we're all elders in training. We're all going to, if we're lucky, we're going to end up as the elders. So let's start looking at that as our final job to be revered. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, we have a much healthier culture. We have much healthier relationships. Our own transitions as parents, let's talk about another significant milestone is launching our children and becoming parents that now, you know, have a a new chapter of our parenting life. Mm -hmm. If people are honoring the aging process in a communal way and in a ritual way, that process is going to be much, much more graceful. I thought you had an interesting insight earlier when we talked about the menopausal stage that women go into, and it's usually seen upon up. She's going to be. She's going to be angry. She's going to be a bitch. You know, mm-hmm. and and you had an interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. That you know that viewpoint is. Um, you know, if if it's like, oh God, I can't stand this. You know, I'm having these hot flashes. I'm being such a bitch. You know, and the husband's like, oh my God, stay away from her. Really, what that is is a woman who is is not honoring her transition. She's not intentionally honoring transition. She's not recognized for, I'm now in a new chapter of my life, and this feeling is me saying, I need more space now. I need to be seen as me again, and it included in my role as mother and wife, now adding to my role as an, an elder 
um, whose now job is to kind of mother the world, mother the community in the world. And speak up. You know, I, I look at, because I look at it as like, you know, some women that are going through menopause and they say, oh my God, I'm getting a hot flash. It's like, and then like, the, will you open up a window? I'm yeah, I'll open up a window. <laughs> you asked for it. You know, yeah. it's like asking for what you want. And in that, instead of getting angry that there's, you know, like I'm hot or I need this, I'm, I'm discomfort. Mm-hmm. And to actually start knowing what's really going on and asking for what you want and what you need. So it's also bringing some self-empowerment. And I'm not a woman. I'm not going to say that that I know what's going on in the body and, and say it's for this purpose. I don't know the uncomfortableness. But I also have witnessed with Rainbow when she speaks up with her uncomfortableness or says, you know what, I, I'm going to take a bath now because this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling drained or I'm feeling frustrated or I need to go for a walk and or this this is uncomfortable. This is what I need. It's like, wow, yeah, now, now you're really asking for what you need. And I think of it's seen in a, in an accepting way of that transformation, it's going to be less resistance and then less pushing it away. And yes. that's where the anger comes up yes. as opposed to, yeah, it's uncomfortable. You may not like it, but if there's an acceptance in the uncomfortableness, mm-hmm. knowing we're moving through this threshold, there's a whole different energy there. Yeah. And, and that actually is the same way for for a woman who is in her bleeding years you know we call this thing pms oh god stay Mm. away from her she's on the rag yep again it's if if a woman is feeling that way it's it's her body saying go within go be quiet there you know there's the red tent movement there's the uh, the moon lodge these were you know peoples that understood that when women were bleeding they were in their power that was when they got their most intuition about how to heal themselves their families and the community and in this culture, we just expect women to keep pushing through. You go to work no matter what you feel like. And if you do have a happen to be a, a woman who can't do that, it's shameful. There's so much struggle that the women I work with face that have these difficult bleeding times where they have to call out sick at work and be seen as, you know, not a good employee or, or at least afraid of that. So, you know, if women... If you can honor that time in any way, know that 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 you feeling the resistance to being around other people, especially around the men and the children in your life, you're meant to pull back. You're meant to honor that time in some kind of ritual way. Yeah. I, I did an intentional year where during my moon, I did a day of silence and my husband, my former husband, my friend Will, <laughs> and my son, Jay, and my daughter, Charlotte, knew that that was a time that I that mom was was mm. taking care of herself and she was bleeding. And, you know, that became a wonderful teaching. And again, relating it back to how does this affect relationships, those relationships were healthier for me. Yeah. We all understood what was going on. They, you know, they cooked for me. I didn't do any of the normal caring for others. I cared for myself and in turn got that that energy and that renewal back so that when I came out of my bleeding time, I was very energized and motivated to care for my family. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. So opposite of, you know, the patriarchate, some religious patriarchate focus. And I'm not going to say that I know the intricacies of it, but it really turned me off when... I learned about some religions where the men wouldn't touch a woman if she was on her moon mm. because of the uncleanliness. Mm. And I was like, that just didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, here you talk about, that's actually the time that 
woman is most in their power. So if a lot of women, I'm sure in those religious aspects, were taking that as there was something wrong with them, yeah. as opposed to probably the, the real reason is men don't want to touch it because a woman is too powerful. <laughs> <Yep. you know? laughs> and we turned it around turned for it us around. to feel better about mm-hmm. that. And yeah, so stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's the shadow side shadow. of what happened in the in the patriarchal movement. Yeah, yeah. Even when it comes to a burial, and you know that the body then is you don't you don't touch a body then, mm-hmm. as opposed to other rituals where you know you're cleansing and bathing the body yes. that has transformed and really honoring it and the honoring of a burial ceremony in that transition when it's honored by the community it can be so so powerful absolutely and again people can try to do it more of their own and i know there's a lot of rituals around that but people can create what it is that they want Mm -hmm. in their own but sometimes we give ourselves permission Uh, we talked about in the jewish religion with a burial and a funeral of of a shiva house sitting shiva where it's these seven days of people coming to the house of the family that, that lost a loved one and bringing food in and uh, really taking care of them for those days and all the mirrors are covered so that you're not uh, conscious of how you look and you, men don't shave and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But if when it's done together, um, not just, oh, that's what you do, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to there's some meaning behind it. And uh, when our baby died, in birth, there was meaning behind how we did the rituals for me. You know, I built mm-hmm. a casket, and I mentioned to you how, as I was covering the casket that had a rhododendron handle, Xander picked, uh, he was three years old, and he came running over to help me put the top of the casket on, picked up the other mm-hmm. handle, and we have a picture of him doing that. And to me, that sits in my mind of how the meaning behind the communal and the family, as opposed to not wanting to touch touch that Mm -hmm. because of thinking that that it's uh foreign that we don't Mm -hmm. know it and sure we may not because it's a first time but i think as we're talking about these rituals and how important it is to give people understanding to bring empowerment to these moments Mm -hmm. yes that's really making me think of you know grief rituals that i've done with people for people helped facilitate, you know, and, and this is probably a difficult subject, of course, for people to hear about, but I worked for a while with Our Voice in our community. That's the organization that helps those who've experienced sexual assault, sexual violence. And I did some rituals with women who had, um, some of them had, you know, their first sexual experience was through a sexual assault. And we did a grief ritual with that. And you know, some of these women had never spoken these things out loud. And it was literally, I mean, there were times where I could just almost feel, I'll just say, I'll relate it to this. If you ever felt like, you know, you've got this gas building up in your body and finally, you know, you let out a big belch, literally that's what it felt like. Mm. They were just, it was just rising up in them as the ritual was being done. And when when that place where it just came out, we had to we had to move it, you know. We would do that with fire, water, you know, using the elements and rituals. Always, you know, a great way to use it. But um, maybe there was then a writing that was burned or something that was put in the water. But there were times when we were in a room, we had to open the window because we could feel the mm. this like build up in the room. And once the window was open, we just blew it out the 
window. And, you know, I, I've heard back from women that have done these rituals and told how meaningful it's been for them and how they finally truly were able to move on in their lives. Wow. So grief rituals can be done for many things, you yeah. know, difficult things that we we're carrying that grief. If we can take, you know, speak it and, and take action to it and put our energy into it, it, we can truly transform it. Yeah. I was working with some of the gay population around coming out rituals. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that part of the grief that they had in maybe their experience, now it was like more ceremonial mm-hmm. to really embody their transformation into a new identity to the world, even though they already knew this identity. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a really interesting transformational process for them to actually want to take the courage to do that with people and do it in an outwardly transforming way, mm-hmm. a ceremony of coming out. And uh, as opposed to, shame what they experienced before and so transforming grief into celebration mm-hmm. can be so powerful yeah mm. yeah i'm so glad that, that that's happening in that community mm-hmm. yeah it just um one thing that occurred to me uh i wanted to share this you know during my discussion about women's transitions you know i had kind of been made aware of an alternative way of looking at my bleeding time probably like my late 20, no, I guess it was my early 30s. So I was blessed to have that period of my life. Like I shared, I figured out ways to honor myself. Um, but when it came to my my last moon, which of course a woman doesn't know um, until it's several months past her, her last moon that it was her last moon. But I had, um, I've been a member of community where if you were at a ceremony and a woman was bleeding, that she was not to have to prepare her own food, that the women brought her her food, that she didn't have to do the work exchange. You know, she was treated as a a sacred member of that community because, again, she's in her power. So I had never throughout my bleeding time been at a ceremony during my moon. So I'd never been given that, that, that honor. And I was at a ceremony um, just after I turned 49, a week after I turned 49. I had actually signed up for this ritual weekend as a work exchange person uh, to help pay for it. And I got there and I, I started bleeding. And it was it was off schedule, so I was very unexpected. And I told um, my, my sister, my big sister was holding the ceremony, and she said, well, your work exchange is over. You're, you're the moon goddess. You're, you're to do nothing, and we're going to bring your food, and we're going to honor you. And that ended up being my last moon. Wow. How beautiful. Yeah. So again, you know, these things have power, even mm. when we're, we're not intellectually trying to make them happen. Mm. On some level, I was guided to do that ceremony and you know, and it, and I'm, my body knew, like, I needed to know what that was like before my bleeding time was over. Mm. Uh, thanks for having this discussion. Even just, I think both of us have relayed that we have and do have rituals in, in our life, and we understand the profoundness of that uh, in relationships, but it's even bringing it closer to home to me of like, mm, what do I want to create more? And mm. and these transitional ones, maybe I'm not recognizing some of the transitions and just going on day to day and so forth. And and so it's percolating within me of uh, having some more sacred uh, awareness around that, maybe doing 
some just internal rituals and self-rituals. Well, thanks again for this conversation. It was yeah. Uh, I feel like fun. we could talk about this for weeks. Yeah. There's so much more I want to say, but maybe there's a a yeah, part, part two. two. <laughs> yeah. Good. Thank you, Prepo. Mm-hmm. It's always an honor to be with you. You too. Yeah. We'll do it again. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Relationships. Let's talk about it is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC, of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is produced by Auxbus. You can create your own professional podcast today, faster and easier. Try it for free at auxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Auxbus. Thank you.